Today on StateScoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, how to see agency improvement or not. I am a firm believer in the old adage, you know, what you measure, you can improve. If you don't measure it, you have no idea if you're doing better or not. A wake-up call for state government cyber controls. I think it was a real eye-opener in Texas, especially to our leadership and to a lot of the local governments as to what really happens when an entity is hit with ransomware. Welcome to StateScoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, as well as the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Agencies in Montana's state government are competing to take services 100% digital. The state's Department of Commerce is currently in the lead and could have all services online this summer, state CIO Kevin Gilbertson says. The CIO says other agencies could be fully digitized by June 2023. Cleveland, Ohio has a new innovation and technology lead. F. Roy Fernando, a longtime technology consultant, is the city's new chief innovation and technology officer. Fernando is tasked with the development, execution, and coordination of technology in the city. The Multi-State Information Sharing and Analysis Center will receive $11 million from the $1.5 trillion omnibus spending bill President Joe Biden signed last week. The funding comes amid an increased threat of cyber attacks from Russia in retaliation for economic sanctions imposed over its invasion of Ukraine. Data and information management is the ninth highest priority for state CIOs, according to NASIO's 2022 priority list, but for Nebraska CIO Ed Toner, data is everything. The CIO, who enters his seventh year leading the state's IT operation this summer, says his department's rigorous focus on using data for performance management keeps his team on track and productive. Toner publishes his thoughts and his performance results on his external blog on the state government website. He tells StateScoop's Colin Wood about why he focuses so much on data. Any type of project any type of, when, when you're talking about making a decision, if there's data that's available, that's where you should start, right? It is the beginning. That's what you should build on. Because too many times people will say, well, yeah, this is too expensive. We need to go do, you know, X, Y, Z. Well, and I hear that often. One is, you know, it's costing too much to run the mainframe. Well, have you run the numbers on the mainframe? Have you run, have you really added all that up and, you know, what is it going to cost going forward to even move off of the mainframe? Have you, and then look at other things, not only the, the cost of the actual mainframe, but what about the reliability, right? Is, is there an issue with reliability in a system? And I've, I've talked about this before about legacy systems, right? Well, a legacy system is one that you can't support anymore, things like that. But at the same time, have you really done the analysis of what it would take to bring the legacy system up to the, the necessary requirements for the business now? Or where I actually see they ignore metrics completely and just say, no, we're just going to throw it away and we're going to replace it. Well, what's the ongoing cost of replacing versus the cost of actually just modernizing what you have, right? So so it seems like any project you do, any type of decision you make on buying a product, any time you want to measure um, how well your organization is doing in, in regards to availability of your systems, in regards to support of your customers, uh great example that we um, we went ahead and invested in um, a product that would make same sign-on 
for one of our our enterprise systems. Well, before we went and paid the money to have the code developed, we wanted to know how many calls do we actually get for password resets on that system. And it came out, and then we have a cost per call. We know we have it down to, okay, how many calls do we make a month? How many people are staffed? So what's our average cost per call? And we found out that by doing that analytics, the little it was only a it was only twenty thousand dollars to actually make this change and we were paying for it in two weeks the payback so again it's just even small decisions like that if you have the data available then it's a no-brainer right so um we say oh yeah this is great and then what we do is after we implemented it we started tracking, okay, did all those calls that we predicted were going to go away by putting the same sign-on on this application, um, did they go away? And not too much to our surprise, 90-some percent of them did. Right, right. But what, what you're, you're making a case for the primacy of data and in your right. recent blog post, which you, you have a blog, if people don't know that, uh, it's easy to find. Um you, if people don't understand what you're, where you're coming from, that you outline it a, a bit more there, it sounds like there's perhaps different schools of thought here. And if it didn't come across in your response there, let it be clear that you, you are very much of the belief that data is it. That is how you should be doing things. And if you're not thinking that way, uh, you ought to be when it comes to this job. Is that accurate? A- absolutely, and and then you can never take data for data's sake, right? And I think that's where when we started talking about everyone has a different definition of data analytics, right? You have to constantly be assured that you are interpreting the data correctly, right? So you really have to challenge assumptions because some people can look at data and make one assumption, and some people can make another one, right? So you you should continuously challenge your own assumptions of this data and have other people's opinion of why is this happening? Why is, um, especially with um, availability metrics and things of that sort. And the other thing that I find is you've got to have a single source of truth, right? So in other words, you have to store the right data. Uh, I've seen too many times where people will pull data and make assumptions about the data that are totally incorrect because of the way they gathered the data. Does that make sense? If if you're not gathering the data correctly, then you could end up really making a decision based on data, but if you didn't really fully review where the data was coming from and how you were collecting the data, you may be making a decision on data that really doesn't have any merit, right? And that's where the data analytics part come in is you need to really question where you're getting the data and is that the right source for that data? Right. Um, you, you provided some examples earlier of ways that you're looking at different data and metrics. Um, and one of the ones that I believe has been mentioned before in our reporting is that you uh, publish your own agency's performance metrics 
Could you talk a little bit about why you do that and why you think that's beneficial? First of all, to measure those things and second of all, to publish them. Sure. Measuring them really, I am a firm believer in the old adage, you know, what you measure, you can improve. Um, If you don't measure it, you have no idea if you're doing better or not. Um, And one of the things that we started back with consolidation five years ago was we wanted to see, are we getting better, right? Are we actually doing what we thought we would be able to do? And when people know that you're measuring it, they know you're paying attention, it naturally gets better. The data just does. If they know that you are diligent in pulling that data and analyzing that data and walking through it with them, everybody wants to do better. I mean, that's just a natural thing. Nobody comes to work saying, I really want to do a crappy job, right? Everybody wants to do better. And so the purpose of pulling the data is, one, to put a baseline. Are we, you know, have we made progress, and what is that progress? And the second one is, it's just that personal feeling of, wait a minute, if if you're going to gather this data, this must mean this is important to you. So this must be a big goal for you. Um, and why do we publish it? We publish it because we really feel like the state of Nebraska is owed that transparency, right? It's um, our surveys. It makes us nervous every year, right? They're random. We have no idea how our customers are going to rate us. and but But my team knows that they're going to get published one way or the other, right? It's so when you know that how your customers are going to re, are responding to you, when you know that that's going to be out there for everyone to see, not only the state of Nebraska, but everybody on the internet can see our data, you naturally want to do a better job. Right. Well, it's uh you have a nice quote in that blog post that you wrote. It says without data you're just another person with an opinion. <laughs> exactly. And and I use that quite a bit. Um, my team knows that if you're going to come and talk to me, you better bring data with you. Um, if it's appropriate, right? Not every conversation <laughs> revolves around data. My team sometimes think, it, think that it does, but they know that the worst thing they could do is not have collected anything any data to help back up what they're what they're saying right and and um some of it is dated just from you know different sources that uh they say well this is what data says if we move to this it will you know reduce our downtime by x amount right or something like that so some of the data is not just what we what we generate ourselves, but I encourage my teams to go out and find benchmarking data and find that type of data that exists all over the, the, the Internet. Again, we have to go back to, is that a really good source of the data? Are we, are we actually measuring ourselves correctly? Nebraska CIO Ed Toner talking with StateScoop's Colin Wood. You can read more about what Nebraska is up to at statescoop.com. 
I'm Jake Williams, host of State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, Maryland Chief Data Officer Pat McLaughlin talks about how his team conducted a full statewide data inventory in just one month. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Texas is bringing a federally proven approach to cloud vendor assessments to the state government. The program is called TexRAMP. It's the latest RAMP, that stands for Risk Authorization Management Program, after Fed and State Ramp. Texas CISO Nancy Rainasek oversees the effort, along with the state's Deputy CISO for Policy and Governance, Matthew Kelly. Rainasek tells State Scoop's Benjamin Freed about the progress TexRAMP has made so far. We're in phase one, so we, we had a really short timeline to get this program up and running. Right now, we're looking at um, cloud service providers that um, have uh, confidential data. And um, I'd say it's going rather well. We've certified over 500. Matt knows probably the exact number of um, cloud services. And um, it's, it's going really well. I think some of the agencies are really accepting of this program. And, you know, our overall goal is just to have our vendors uh, be required to to um, follow the same security policies and practices that our state agencies have to follow. Mm-hmm. So we just want to make sure that our cloud vendors are, are um, securing our data mm-hmm. um, the way Texas wants it secured. Mm-hmm. And, and Matt, how's that been going in, in terms of reaching out to all the vendors and all the agencies and getting everybody coordinated? Yeah, so uh, communication is a key component of something like this. Uh, with all major initiatives, you have your fair share of challenges. Uh, and specifically with uh, risk and authorization management programs, uh, there can be a lot of complexity to it. So communication has definitely been key, and we've published some resources out there for both the uh, tailored towards state agencies as well as vendors that I encourage you to review if you're interested in learning more about TexRAM. Uh, but aside from that, I've really been having one-on-one communications with the vendors as well as the agencies whenever they have additional questions. And that uh, that personal touch in our meetings has really helped clear things up. And uh, whenever we conclude those meetings, I think everybody tends to leave with a sense of understanding what the uh, program objectives really are and what the requirements are. So it's, it's a mix of broad communication, blasting out the details, as well as answering specific questions, because everybody's situations really can be unique. So I'd say that's a major component to, to making sure that this program can be successful in the future. Where would you say it's, it's, it's taken uh, Texas from, a, from an overall cyber standpoint, Nancy? Um, I, I, I think that it's put us in uh, further cementing our leadership position in terms of cybersecurity. Um, we're, we're very, it's a key priority of our governor and of um, um, DIR, and um, these programs in, in particular are really um, helping to move us forward. Senate Bill 475 um, has gone a long way, not only towards state agencies, but also local governments, um, as we're trying to assist them with their cyber issues as well. Yeah. I understand there's a, a volunteer program. Uh, yes. in there too. How, how is that coming along? It's coming along as, as, um, as you recall, in August of 2019, we had 23 local governments that were impacted by a ransomware incident. And uh, one of the things that, that we discovered during that um, event was that it took a long time to get to some of these places so that we could help them out. Um, you know, Texas is a big state and you know, Austin's pretty smack dab in the middle, but to get to the panhandle, you know, it's an eight, nine, 10 hour drive. 
So we really um, are looking to um, cement this, um, what we call the VERT, the Volunteer Incident Response Team, so that we have people not just in Austin that are able to help, um, but that are across the state. Um, we were very grateful during that incident that it, a, a lot of private sector companies were reaching out, just volunteering their resources. Um, but we didn't have the capability in place at the time to um, have background checked people that could essentially work on systems that might deal with sieges. Um, so, so it was it was important that you know this team um, that we vet the volunteers and that um, we have them ready to go so that if another event happens that that we have people on standby that are ready to assist yeah it does really seem like that incident uh back in wow it's almost three years now it really has been it really was a a watershed moment in the uh, fight against ransomware i think it was a real eye-opener in texas especially to our leadership um and to a lot of the local governments as to what really happens when an entity's hit with ransomware. And also because it, it happened through a managed service provider, the importance of security controls with our vendors. Um, so Senate Bill 475, in addition to RAMP and the data officer um, <clears throat> has a specification for particularly state agencies to include cyber in their contracts. Um, and that's not saying they weren't there already but um, now it's a provision in the law. Um, so it, I think it's been a real eye-opener. We've had a number of other incidents that, um, ransomware incidents across the state that haven't exactly made the press, but you know, we, we learn with every one of them and um, um, we, we just continue to try and develop our programs so that um, we are educating and if and when it happens again, um, we're prepared so that, that we can respond similar to August and have these people up and operational as quickly as possible. Yeah. I want to get back to the, the tax ramp a little bit. I know you said you're, you're still in phase one of it, but um, as, as it's been developed, have you heard from your counterparts in any other states about how, how you're going about it? Maybe if, you, if there's uh, advice you can offer or if any states are, uh, you know, has have said they're they're curious about uh, doing something similar. Yeah. So um, from the beginning, uh, we really didn't want to completely reinvent the wheel and wanted to leverage existing efforts. And Arizona was actually the first state, to my knowledge, that implemented a kind of state enterprise-wide approach to uh, third-party risk management. So we had conversations with them as well as the group uh, State Ramp and some yeah. Fed Ramp folks to figure out you know, what would work best for our state and what may not be as suitable for our needs. So for any states that are out there trying to uh, investigate whether an enterprise third-party risk management program would be appropriate for them, I would say you know, understand what your needs are and then also ask your peers and organizations on you know, what the successes and challenges have been relating to the implementation. Uh, you really want to balance uh, the level of effort in your risk assessments and the level of resources that you, uh, you know, allocate to reviewing these things uh, with that level of risk that they possess. So um, it's it's difficult to have a one-size-fits-all approach, but uh, proper planning in the initiation phases is probably critical to making it a success and making sure that you're using your resources effectively. 
Uh, so I would say there's a lot out there and doing your research prior to uh, implementing something like that is going to be a key component in the success down the road. And I'm always happy to talk to other states, uh, definitely uh, learn from them. And if there's anything that I can impart on them, then happy to share that. Nancy Rainasek, CISO of Texas, and Matthew Kelly, Deputy CISO for Policy Governance. You can read more about TexRamp on statescoop.com. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.